uh, it's what he did. And so we just celebrate him uh, so much here at Hillcrest that he has done what needed to be done in order for us to live the life uh, that he's called us to. Well, before I start uh, my message this morning, I just want to uh, quickly say, tonight is Prayer Summit. It starts at 6 and goes to 7.30. Uh, it's Prayer Summit for kids, and there's also Prayer Summit for adults. So quickly, Prayer Summit for kids is amazing. We have the world's best uh, children's pastor. There's just bar none. There's no competition. It's just over. Laura Stackrock has already received that award, okay? So she's already got it, and she is leading so well. And if you've ever brought your kids to Kids Prayer Summit, you'll know how amazing it is. Kids have an amazing experience at Prayer Summit, learning new ways to pray and uh, learning to, to take some of those first steps in prayer. If only she had been my children's pastor, I would have loved to learn what uh, kids are learning in our children's ministry when I was a kid. I would love to have learned it. Anyhow, and then Adult Prayer Summit, of course, it's, a, it's an interactive experience. I lead this prayer meeting. There's lots of prayer meetings that happen in our church, but this is sort of a bigger one. I lead it every time, and it's, it's real, because it's important. It's really, really important that we come together as a church. We pray for each other. We pray uh, for the church. We often pray for our city, our country, uh, and all sorts of different things. Uh, we really believe that prayer is the engine of the church, and uh, we like to rev the engine here at Hillcrest. So tonight we're going to rev the engine in the area of prayer and invite you to come out 6 to 7.30 and we use our snacks afterwards so we can visit. Um, that's, that's prayer summit. All right. We are in the middle of a series called Hearing God. And uh, we've, we've done three. We've got three yet to go. Uh, the first week I talked about the fact that God still speaks today. I talked a little bit about how we can look into the Bible and we find biblical principles. They help us make almost or most of our decisions in life, but then there are still some decisions where we need direction from God, and that's where promptings of the Holy Spirit come in to help us to make those decisions. So that was week number one, talking about how God does still speak today. Then I talked about why does God speak today? That was the second week. Why does God uh, speak today? And it's all about relationship. It's all about the fact that God wants to be your Lord and King, and if he's going to functionally lead you in those ways, well, you've got to be able to sense what he's leading. You've got to be able to hear him. And then he wants to be your father. He wants to be your father. Not just on paper, not just that you know that's a legal fact, but to actually have a father-child uh, relationship with God. And uh, the Bible talks so much about that father-child relationship. And uh, so hearing his voice helps us to understand his affection, his affirmation, his guidance and direction as a father. And finally, we said he's a, he is our very life. He is our very life. And so uh, just like uh, the, Jesus used it, you would have read that this week. If you're reading the John and Psalms reading plan that we have, you would have read this very week about how Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches, that the life of God flows from him into us. And so that was week number two. Then week number three, which was last week, um, we talked about how one of the main ways that God speaks to us is through the Word of God. And uh, we talked about how important it is to engage the Word of God. And we talked about engage it as a scholar. That means really try to learn the information and understand what's there. But also engage it as a follower. Allow it to transform your life. And expect that the things that you are learning or memorizing or reading, the Holy Spirit will bring them back to you in times where you need those things. Expect that to happen. And so many people have testified to the fact that when they were at a pivotal point making a decision in life, that the Holy Spirit brought back something that they'd read or heard, maybe if they're listening to audio or whatever, they'd read or heard from the Bible, and they brought it back and applied it to their situation. And I gave several examples of that last week. Today I want to talk about Ways in which God speaks. Now, we did a whole message on the Bible, God speaking through the Bible. I thought that was very important for us to always remember that hearing God, this whole thing, uh, finds its anchor in the Scriptures. That's why we're teaching it out of the Scriptures, because that's where we, we find, uh, you know, the Scriptures talk about how the fact that we can hear God's voice. But I'm going to talk about ways that we hear God. Ways that we hear God. Job 33, 33.14 I'm going to read it in two different translations. First, in the NIV, it says, For God does speak now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. And then in the 
uh, contemporary English version. I like this one. It says, God speaks in different ways, and we don't always recognize his voice. Now, here's the thing. If God is speaking in different ways, wouldn't it be great if we could uh, like lay out what those ways are so that we don't miss his voice, so that we actually recognize it? So what are the different ways that God speaks? What are the different ways? I'm going to start with the less common ones and go to the more common ones. Okay? So these are different ways. First, an audible voice. You see that in, in the Bible. In Samuel in the Old Testament, he's lying in bed and hears, Samuel, Samuel, and he runs over to Eli, the high priest, because he, he lives there with Eli, the high priest, and he goes over and says, hey, Eli, you, you called? And he's like, no, I'm sleeping, and nobody called you, and go back to bed. And he goes, and three times, right? That's how the story goes. Finally, Eli clues in. I think this boy is hearing from God. And so he says, next time you hear, say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. Right? And that's what Samuel does. So Samuel has his very first experience of hearing an audible voice from God. Then in the New Testament, we have the story of Paul. Paul is a, a persecutor of the church. He hates Christians. He wants to stamp out the memory of Jesus, except for he runs into Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, it says, he has, sees this bright light, he's blinded, falls off his horse to the ground, and he hears, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? An audible voice. And then he replies and says, who are you, Lord? And finds out the bad news, I'm Jesus. <laughs> Which ends up being the really good news for him, eventually. But uh, an audible voice. Now, audible voices, I don't, think, I don't think most Christians have heard an audible voice. I've never heard an audible voice. But... In the Bible, we see that do, people do hear audible voices, and there are accounts throughout Christian history of people hearing an audible voice. So I'm going to give you one of them. Uh, Francis Schaeffer. He's a, anyone ever heard that name before, Francis Schaeffer? Okay, some people know the name. He's a, he was a very well-known Christian philosopher in, in the 19th, uh, you know, 1900s. Very well-known. Um, he was in a scenario where his, his um, family needed a place to stay for a year. And he was sort of in a predicament, didn't know what he was going to do. And so he prayed about it, right? He prayed about it. Lord, what should I do? You know, I need a place for my, my family to stay for, the, for this next year. And he heard an audible voice. And the audible voice said, Uncle Harrison's house. And he thought, that is very strange because Uncle Harrison lives in his house. We were going to live in that house with Uncle Harrison? Well, that's weird. Okay, but he followed it up. And he wrote a letter to Uncle Harrison saying, Dear Uncle Harrison, and this is going to be an awkward letter, right? Dear Uncle Harrison, what are you going to do with your house next year? You know, like, I mean, the answer is, live in it. I'm going to live in it, right? What, if you got a letter like that, what would you say? You'd say, why are you writing me this letter? I'm going to live in my house. That's what everybody does. But he writes this letter. Uncle Harrison writes him back and says, actually, I'm going to be gone for the whole year living with my brother, and I welcome you to come with your family and live in the house. So I heard an audible voice, a voice of provision, God helping Francis Schaeffer's family to, to find uh, a place to live. So, the audible voice. Let me give you this. Now let's go on. We're just going to move through these fairly as quickly as I can today. The second one is angels. Now, angels are really popular in Canada. The majority of Canadians believe in angels. Did you know that? The majority. I think they said 62%, the last poll I saw. In Saskatchewan, actually, it's higher than that. So by the vast majority of Saskatchewanites believe in angels. In fact, I think more people in Saskatchewan believe in angels than believe in Jesus. And that's actually too bad because Jesus can do a million times more for you than any angel can do. Or a billion or a trillion or whatever number, number is bigger than that. Right? It's really important to, to believe in Jesus. More important than believing in angels. But people believe in angels, but there's also a lot of misinformation about angels. A lot of misinformation. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral. I, whenever, I cringe every time it happens where someone says, and, and you know what, sometimes it's really well-meaning. If the person is just giving a eulogy and they're just really heartfelt and they say, well, my loved one is dead and now they're an angel floating above us, I, I, I'm okay with that one. Because I just think, it's okay, they don't know any better. That's okay, right? I'm, I'm no bother. But if it's like a professional up there, if they got a collar on, if they're like a, a minister and they say, your loved one is now an angel, I'm like, no, 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 no. You actually can read the Bible and find out that that's not true. Like, so I get a little agitated when that happens. Like, people, like, I would hold myself too accountable if, if I did that, right? Because that's not what's in the Bible. Angels are actually different creations than humans. 
we don't become angels when we die. But there's lots of misinformation out there about angels. We believe in angels, but we have some crazy ideas about them that don't come from the Bible. Um, but God does use angels to speak and act. God does use angels to speak and act. In the Old Testament, we see angels spoke to Abraham, Joshua, Balaam, Gideon, Samson's parents, Isaiah, Daniel. Lots of angels speaking in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see a few other, I'll just mention two. Philip has a conversation with an angel. Cornelius, uh, the, the Roman centurion, has a conversation with an angel. So, God does use angels to speak. I don't think it's that common, though. I don't think it's that common. And actually, if it's very common in your life to speak to its angels, I would say that there's a few cautions I'd like to give you. A few great cautions. Um, angels are not the only supernatural beings that can contact a person. 2 Corinthians 11.14. I'm not just making this stuff up. It's from the Bible. And no wonder, this is 2 Corinthians 11.14 says, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So, if you say, hey, I've been touched by an angel, just make sure what kind of angel it is, right? It's really important to understand that uh, not all uh, supernatural experiences are godly or good. You have to use discernment, and you have to check it by the Bible. In fact, that's what the next verse I'm going to share with you really helps with. Galatians 1.8, it says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than, the, other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. In other words, if a spiritual presence speaks something to you that contradicts the word of God, you've got to throw it out. You've got to recognize that's, that's not what an angel of God would do. Right? So that's just some guidelines. You know, I didn't want to spend any time on angels today. It's just that I realized that we people really like angels, and that's good. Just don't be confused about angels, and don't get led astray in this department. But God can speak through an angel. Uh, I've never experienced that myself, but I do believe that that happens. I would say that it wouldn't be the thing that you would be listening to angels every single day of your life. I think that that might be a cause for concern. And maybe that's some sort of spiritual guide that might lead you astray and into some darker areas in your life. So I'd, I'd guard against that. But God can speak, and he has spoken, and he does speak through angels. All right, number three, other phenomena in the Bible. So we said audible voice, angels, but there's other phenomena in the Bible that are sort of like, I'm just lumping them together. This is sort of like the etc. category. A burning bush. Moses had that experience. God spoke through a burning bush that didn't burn up. Wow, that's amazing. He spoke through a donkey to Balaam. That's amazing. He wrote on the wall, the finger of God appeared and wrote on the wall in the king's palace, Belshazzar, who was a pretty wicked king, but had Daniel, a godly leader, working for him. They both witnessed, you know, this writing on the wall, or he witnessed this writing on the wall, and then Daniel comes and interprets it so that Belshazzar got the message that uh, God had for him. Then Gideon, a fleece, you know, the fleece, he used like lamb's oil, put it on the ground, it was wet while the ground was dry, and, and dry while the ground was wet, and that was a way that God, you know, God's messaging system that God used that. I don't think that's the way we normally operate. I think most of these are very rare. I don't think most of us experienced a burning bush, a donkey speaking to us, riding on the wall of our house, or a fleece that is the opposite of the normal weather conditions. I think that's rare. But God used these things. And what I learned from this is God refuses to limit himself to only one way of communication. You can't put him in a box. He will communicate any which way he wishes. But I still think these things are rare. Now, I want to move to ones that are more common, more common today. Uh, number four is dreams and visions. Now, again, we see them in the Bible. In the Old Testament, Joseph had dreams that were of great significance. They were dreams that uh, foretold the future, in fact. And so uh, that's an Old Testament example of dreams and vision. In the New Testament, we see the, the wise men, or they're called the magi, who, you know, we three kings, except for we don't know if there are three. Anyhow, when they, they had a dream warning them not to go back to Herod, because Herod made all nicey-nice, like, I want to see the baby too, to kill the baby, right? So a dream is what informed them not to go back to Herod. So again, 
God spoke, speaks through dreams. Visions are similar to dreams except for you're awake. You're awake. And we see those in the Bible too. In the Old Testament, God appeared to Abraham in a vision confirming his promise to give him a son. And then in the New Testament, Peter receives a vision transforming his attitude towards the Gentiles, right? He was a bit of a bigot. He thought that only the Jews, only the Jews, that's all that God is really here to, to send a Messiah for and to care for and, and to love and to bring into relationship with him. And then God blew his mind. He had a vision and down came this sheet full of all the unclean animals that they were taught in the Old Testament they should never eat. So it's like, ah, I don't want calamari, thank you. And God is saying, don't you call unclean what I've called clean. Now, I, I think he actually could have learned that through reading the Old Testament. I think he could have saw the promise to Abraham that through Abraham he was going to bless all the nations of the world. He could have actually sort of been bumped out of his Jew only or, or Israel only perspective through reading the Old Testament. But God just made sure Peter got it through a vision. Because it was pretty important for Peter to get it. He was a significant leader in the early church. And so he got it. And soon after that, uh, he went to meet Cornelius, who had spoken to an angel. And uh, that was a connection for one of the very first uh, conversions of people who weren't Jewish. So it was wonderful. Wonderful. Um, so, does God use dreams and visions today? Well, we can see in church history. Uh, one of the stories that I, I find very interesting is the story of Augustine. Augustine was a church father. Well, that means he was an early church leader in the 4th century. So, this wasn't in the Bible time, but it was, you know, three, 400 years later. A very significant early church leader. Now, he didn't start out that way. He was like a totally rebellious kid, a totally rebellious teenager. And uh, he, uh, what did he do? To, he joined a cult. That's not, mom doesn't like that. He had a mom, his name, or his name was Monica, and she was always crying and praying for Augustine because he was the world's worst kid, right? Joined a cult, and then he, was, he lived a totally sexually promiscuous lifestyle. And so uh, Monica, actually, do you know that song? Uh, let me see. All I want to do is have some fun until the sun comes up on the Santa Monica Boulevard. That's Monica. Santa Monica is named after Monica, the mother of Augustine. Isn't that neat? And you know what? That's what Augustine was. All he wanted to do was have some fun. And he did all sorts of terrible things in pursuit of that end. And she agonized over her son. She had brought him up as a Christian in, in the home, you know, brought him up, well, not as a Christian, but so that he'd, he'd have access to Christian teaching. And he totally left that, total prodigal son, just left that. And so she was agonizing over him. And, and several things happened in the, in the process. How did Augustine become a significant church leader when he was not that at all as a teenager? Well, some things happened along the way. She had a dream. She had a dream. In that dream, she saw her and her son being together, and both following Jesus together. She told her son about that dream, and he, and he interpreted it differently. He said, oh, I see you and me being together once you join the cult I'm a part of. Mm, that's not what moms like to hear. Then uh, she went to a, a, a bishop, so a leader in the church, early church, and she, she implored him, go talk to my son, go talk to my son. In fact, she became a bit of a nag to this bishop, just pursuing him, pursuing him, pursuing him. Finally, in desperation, he, he declared something over her. Like, he was frustrated with her. He basically said, go away from me. Like, leave me alone. But then he said, as you live, it cannot be that the son, son, her son, of your tears should perish. And Monica even took that as an encouragement. In fact, she even took it as a prophecy that her son, the son of her tears, would not perish. Interesting. Then, there was an audible voice involved. Now, this is where Augustine, you know, he tried everything the world had to offer. And, uh, you know, in many ways, you say he was, he was, you know, he was very intellectual, very learned, being recognized for all sorts of things. But there was a frustration in his life. And uh, one day... He heard an audible voice, and it, he, he described it as a almost sing-song voice of a small child. 
This is strange, but it's interesting. A sing-song voice of a small child that said, Take and read, take and read, take and read. He's like, what is going on? So he went and he found the Bible and he opened it. And uh, when he opened the Bible, he opened it to Romans 13, 13 to 14. And this is what it says. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. That's a pretty targeted verse for a guy like Augustine. And he gave his life to God and became a great leader in the church. Now, in the fourth century, after the Bible was closed, the canon was closed, after that, God was still speaking through dreams, prophetic words, his audible voice, and words of scripture. An interesting story where all these things come together. So God will, God will even speak to people who aren't Christians through dreams and visions. And we hear about that today. Sometimes we hear reports where people say, I had a dream of Jesus, and now I need to get my hands on a Bible. Right? That happens. In the Bible we see this. Pilate's wife was not a follower of Jesus, but she had a dream. Then she warned her husband that Jesus was innocent and that she, he shouldn't condemn, her, condemn him to be crucified. The Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament, he had a vision from God about his future. So God and Pharaoh had, had, had dreams that were about the future of Egypt. So God can use dreams and visions, and he does speak to people this way. We shouldn't be surprised. Acts 2, 17 and 18 actually promises this. It says, and this is Peter preaching to a crowd, but quoting the Old Testament uh, prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Now, have I ever had a dream that I thought was from God? I've had several that I thought were like maybe, right? And I think maybe is a good thing to say a lot of times about dreams. Because you just... You, you want to think about them a little bit. You know, not just jump to some action or some conclusion. But I have one that I think probably was from God. I will say probably. I move it from maybe to probably. So it's moving up in the rankings. I had a dream. Okay, so I was really intimidated by people who were rich, powerful, and famous. I, nobody else struggles with that. Just me. I was intimidated by those type of people. And um, I knew that. Um, and I had this dream. And the dream was... I was meeting with the prime minister. Now, this dream was very selective because the prime minister I was meeting was, with was Paul Martin. And he was only prime minister for a very thin slice of time. So it was a very interesting dream that Paul Martin would be the, the powerful prime minister I was meeting with because he didn't have a really long run. But I'm meeting with Paul Martin, and I'm meeting with him in this sort of like old money building. Like, obviously, the rich and famous must have built this of some era. And it's all oak paneling all the way around, like, you know, some you know, rich man's cigar room or something. And I'm meeting with him there, and he says to me, he says, don't worry about the future. We'll make sure that the Christians are protected. And in my dream, I stand up indignant. I'm furious with what he said. And I point my finger in his face, and I say, I don't, or we don't need your protection. You need our protection. And, well, amen. Thank you. <laughs> So in, in my, <laughs> I appreciate that <laughs> a lot. I wake up from that dream. I am so encouraged. I am so emboldened. Now, who was I? The guy who's intimidated by the rich, the powerful, the famous. But I wake up and have a whole new perspective on who I am in Christ. Right? And it doesn't disagree with Scripture. It actually agrees with Scripture. I thought some verses that really I looked at after that. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Right? Consider their threats. This is from Acts. How After they would said, don't you dare preach the name of Jesus anymore. Consider their threats. This is their prayer to God. Consider their threats, God. And enable us to speak the word more boldly. Not less. More boldly. 
for this verse. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? So sometimes I would look at those rich, powerful, famous people and say, man, they've got it all. And then I realize they might actually have nothing. If they lose their soul, they might actually have nothing. I might actually be talking to somebody who has nothing and I have the thing that they need. That changed my perspective. See, these people will, all of us will one day stand before God. I should start praying now that God will show mercy on them instead of being intimidated by them. It was a dream. God used the dream to encourage me. Again, I put it in the perhaps category. I still, with dreams and visions, I think you need to tell other people and let them give you your honest feedback, right? So I don't know, maybe, perhaps. But God will use dreams and visions. And he said in the last day, he, that's part of him pouring out his spirit on all people. So people have experienced that. I think, more, that's, I think it's more common than some of the other ones we've, we've talked about. Here's the, number five. God will speak through other people. God will speak through other people. Well, that's you know, one of the most obvious ways that God speaks through other people is through uh, preaching or teaching. Right? We're really blessed in the day we live in. I mean, you can just, you know, just podcast all sorts of great teaching and preaching from all over the globe. Isn't that great? And then you have local. If you're a part of a local church, you have local preaching and teaching where people, you know, you actually know. You know their way of life. You know, you know something about them. And that helps you to sort of get a context sometimes for preaching and teaching. But Romans 10, 14, and 15 says this. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? There's a progression here. You have to follow it. How can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear? Remember, it's all about hearing God. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So God will speak to you. He'll speak to me through other people. And one of the ways he does that is through preaching and teaching. So that's awesome. Another way that he'll speak through other people is through prophecy, right? We, we uh, see in the Bible prophecy being used. In the New Testament, a guy named Agabus, a couple prophecies he had. One, he prophesied the famine would come to the known world. In that section of the Roman Empire, a famine was coming, and it did. And then, uh, I, li- I like this, it's just a reference, but it says Philip had four daughters who prophesied. I mean, I can't imagine, I have sons, I think they're easier to raise. I could be wrong. But I can't imagine having four daughters. And the fact that all four of them hear from God, you would have to be on your tiptoes as a dad. I mean, seriously, you couldn't get away with nothing if you had four daughters who heard from God or prophesying all over the house. Oh, my goodness. I can't imagine. It's like God's downloading to them the stuff that you need to hear. Oh, my goodness. So prophecy. Then how about this? 1 Corinthians 14 talks about three different uh, types of uh, speaking through other people. Words of knowledge. Okay, I'm going to share a personal story about this next week or the week after. I'm not sure. I've got one that I'm going to share yet. But words of knowledge. It's basically where you get no, someone gets knowledge about a scenario or about someone else that they, didn't naturally, they don't naturally know it. They didn't glean it from the internet or read it or, or, or get it from someone telling them. They just suddenly know it. That's quite an interesting thing when that happens, right? Uh, the story I shared a few weeks ago about the South African guy who was from South Africa, total stranger to me, we didn't know each other, basically told me exactly what I wrote in my journal that morning. That was freaky when it happened. I tried to rationalize it away every which way I could, and I burned my brain out doing it because I was like, this only makes sense uh, if God's doing it because it didn't make sense any other way. And, um, yeah, so a word of knowledge. Uh, also, words of wisdom. You find these in 1 Corinthians 14. Words of wisdom. Um, I've had this experience, and um, it's, it amazes me. Someone comes to me, and they've got a problem in, or some scenario, and they, they're looking for advice. And I'm like, my, init- my initial thought is, I got nothing for that. I have no experience about that. I don't know anything about, I just do not have anything to offer. And then suddenly I'm talking. And I'm like, wow, that is really smart, what I'm saying. 
I'm like, I want to stop in the middle of it and say, can you excuse me? I'm going to write this down because this is amazing. I can't, whoa, a whip, wow. I'm not talking about something I cooked up. I'm not talking about that I'm just a really wise guy. I'm going, this is, this is good advice. I've never given this advice before. I've never heard this advice before. Maybe you've had that experience too. I think that actually happens a lot in the body of Christ, that what God will give you something in the moment for somebody else. And it could be a word of wisdom that is like, whoa, that's wiser, that's smarter than I, I am. That must be God. That must be God. Because it's so good. It must be him. Uh, interpretation of tongues is the third one we find in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, boy, that's a, if I open up that can of worms, I'll never finish this sermon. But basically, uh, when someone speaks in tongues, people don't know what it, it is. So some, if someone could interpret that, then they could understand, right? They could hear God. So those are different ways. So you hear through other people, and I'm just listing all the different ways. Uh, and God set that up. So that we're connected. We were never meant to be disconnected from the rest of the followers of Jesus. In fact, the Bible used so much connecting language in the New Testament that we should get it. He says we're the body of Christ, right? And then it talks about how every part is needed. And there's not one part that isn't needed. And they're all indispensable. And even the weaker parts we treat with special honor. It's just like... It just keeps telling us again and again and again, we were meant to do this in community, not as Lone Rangers. That's how we're meant to do it. That's how we're meant to walk with God in community with other people who are also walking with God. And then they'll speak to you. You'll speak to them. Amazing. You'll both hear God through those ways. And here's the last one. And I think the most common. Let me read you first before I reveal it. Let me read you 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, the Lord said, and this is to Elijah, he's super discouraged, he's ready to die, he's complaining, he had a great victory, but then he's had a great threat, he's basically had a death threat on his life, you know, that happened back in the Old Testament lots. Anyhow, anyhow, he's hiding, and this is what happens. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. God is going to break him out of what he's in, the funk that he's in. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Whew. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a gentle whisper. After the fire came a gentle whisper, and that's when God spoke in a whisper. Let me read you Job 26, 14. It says, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? So we're talking about the God of all the galaxies, the God of the cosmos. That when he speaks to you or me, he doesn't use his outside voice. But he uses a still, small voice. Like that would be the King James way of saying a gentle whisper. So God uses a still, small voice. Now, what does that look like? What does it sound like? How, how, do we, how can we understand that? Let me just take you through a few scriptures to sort of put some puzzle pieces together around this. That God will want to speak to you and I most commonly in a still, small voice. Nehemiah 7.5. Now, Nehemiah just wept when he found out Jerusalem was in a terrible state. He was a leader, and he just couldn't believe Jerusalem had been degraded to the, you know, the wall was torn down, and everything was just practically destroyed. It was terrible. Anyhow, he cried out to God for Jerusalem. Nehemiah 7.5 talks about part of God's, what God did. It said, so God put it in my heart 
to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. It talks about how he organized this scattered group of people. God put it into my heart. God put it into my heart. How does God communicate? God may just want to put something into your heart. Say, so, well, okay, that still sounds fairly mysterious. How does God put something into your heart? I, I believe, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. We'll describe it some more. But I believe that God wants to speak to you just with a, like we talked about principles and promptings in the very first word. I, th I think he wants to just some like just bring you a thought. Bring you a thought. Could be a simple word or a concept. Maybe he'll bring scripture to your mind. Maybe it's a mini picture. I'm not talking about like a full-on like dream sequence or a vision that goes on and on, but you might just have like a, you know, I don't know, photograph in your mind or something. But I think that God will just actually give you a thought or something. And uh, whether that's for your scenario, someone else's scenario, I think that's how he does it. So sometimes we make this hearing God thing huge, maybe almost spooky. That God is going to, in some very dramatic way, communicate with you. And you know what? I just told you that I believe God uses all these ways. But I think the most common way that he communicates with you and me is that you have a thought come to your mind and you recognize that that thought might be God. Or you might even go farther and say, I think that's probably God. And maybe you check with other people and they say, yeah, that might be God. Or they might say, that's probably God. Of course, we, we always say might and probably in these areas because we're fallible, right? Like you read something in the Bible, you go, that's trustworthy, totally take that to the bank. You, as long as you understand it in context, right? But you, you, you could, but through us, like, you know, we're fallible. We can get things wrong. And so I, I, it's really great if you use language like, you know, I think I might have heard from God. Can I bounce this off you to see if you think that sounds like what God might be saying in this scenario? And then the community, right? We're not, spent most, we're not supposed to do this as lone rangers. We're supposed to do this in community. Helps you, right? Other Christians, they say, wow, yeah, you know what? That does seem like that might line up with God's word and the way that God works in the world. Yeah, I could see that. That might be God. Or people might say, whoa, have you read this part of the Bible? You should maybe read that first. That might help you correct that a little bit. Or, or man, it doesn't sound like God. That's the helpfulness of, of being open, open, you know, in these areas. So God put it into my heart. That's what Nehemiah said. God put it into my heart. He didn't say an angel came. He didn't say he had a dream. He didn't say he had a burning bush experience. And he didn't say that someone else talked to him. He just said, God put it into my heart. So you have, might have an impression. I think Nehemiah had an impression. He probably had a thought that I should assemble the nobles. I should organize the people. I should create some structure for these scattered Israelites who are in Jerusalem and don't know which way to turn. I should... God put it into my heart. I should do these things. God gave him a strategy for getting that feeble nation back on its feet. God put it into his heart. James 1, 5 to 6 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, is that anyone like me? You could say, I lack wisdom. I lack wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. That's a cool idea. If you lack wisdom, you should ask God. That's really neat. Who gives generously to all without finding fault? God doesn't say, man, are you dumb? You really lack wisdom. No, he doesn't find fault. He's thrilled that you're asking him. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So... Let me introduce you to the thought of listening prayer. So a lot of prayer is just talking prayer, which is good. We should. Come to God. Pour out your heart. Speak to him. He's listening. But it would be great if we were listening too. It would be really great if we were listening. Especially when we have a command like this. If you lack wisdom, ask God. When you ask, don't believe... 
or believe and do not doubt. So ask God, believe and do not doubt, and then I would add, and wait. And wait. That's what listening prayer is, I, I think, is in its simplest way. So I've been trying to practice listening prayer now for a few years, three or four years. I mean, it's not like I've ever didn't do something like it before, but I, I've tried to be intentional about it. If someone comes to me for advice, I try to remember this. Don't always get it, but I try to remember to say, hey, let's take a moment and listen. You are saying you lack wisdom. The Bible tells us to ask God and believe and not doubt. Let's do that together. I don't spell all that out. I just say, hey, let's just listen for a moment. And so we'll just stop. I want to say, okay, Lord, you know my friend Bob here, he, he doesn't know what to do in this area. And uh, so would you speak to either of us and uh, we're just going to listen. So it would just take a minute sometimes. Not much more than that. And then I'll just say, I don't know, did you get anything? And this is what always surprises me. This is what always surprises me. Well, I mean, not always surprises me. This is what has surprised me with the whole trend of this, is that sometimes I get something. I'm like, yeah, I got a word or, or an idea or a thought, or this sort of came to me, this advice came to me. And then other times I get jack squat. I get nothing. But sometimes the other guy gets something. And he's like, I just feel like God is saying this to me. I'm like, whoa. Cool, we asked God for wisdom. We weren't doubting. We were trusting that he's, he's good. We got something. Sometimes we both get nothing. You know what I love about both getting nothing? Is when both people are honest about it. That is awesome. That is awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So important that you never fake hearing God's voice. I can't emphasize that enough. Because if you fake that, you will miss when he really speaks. And I want to hear his voice. I want to know when he's really speaking. So that means when I don't hear him speak, I'm not making something up to make God look good. I'll say I got nothing. I remember I was so excited when I first heard some teaching on hearing God. I was so excited to bring this back to our leadership team, I had, our, our, our staff team. And so I brought the staff team in and I said, man, let's just listen in prayer about something. And, and so we did something and then we, we listened. And I was so excited because when I was listening in prayer earlier, asking God, I lacked wisdom, believing. And I did that previously. I really heard some, I really had a real sense of what God was saying. I was really excited to take this back to the team, especially because now I can hear. So I came back to the team and I'm like, this is great, we'll do this together. And I thought, you know, even if none of these guys gets it, I'm going to get something from God. And we listened and I got jack squat. And then some of the people on the team who were sort of like, what's this all about again? How does this work? They were the people who got stuff. I was like, oh. Thank you, Lord, for humbling me and for also letting us all know that you're the leader of the church. You're the one in charge. So we, don't, we can't make God speak. We can't conjure him up. It's not a genie in a bottle. It's not anything like that. It's not one, two, three, God must act. He's sovereign. He's the leader. We're the followers. We exist for his glory. We exist to delight in him. He doesn't exist so that he can, you know, cater to all our needs and all, our, all those things. We exist for him. And so we recognize that when we come to him. But yet he is so good that he's willing to speak to his followers. And so he doesn't speak to me every time. I don't always get something, but sometimes I do. And then I hold it with an open hand, right? I said, maybe this is God. This is what I got. This is what I sensed. This is the impression that came to my, my mind. And then the other person says, well, that does that really, I always ask this other one, does it resonate with you? So someone comes for me for advice. I say, hey, this is the impression I got. Does that sort of mean anything to you? And sometimes they say, yes, that totally is applicable, applicable to my situation. I'm like, praise God. That's awesome. What a confirmation. That's really good. And then other times they say, no, that doesn't mean a single thing. That means nothing to me. And I'll be like, cool. Let's just be honest about that because then we're set up for the time when he does speak. Right? 
So I'm never, I try to never be discouraged if I say, wow, I think I've got something from God, and I share it with a person, and they say, that doesn't mean anything to me. I never, I just think, good. I love that you were honest. I love that you never faked it. Right? Don't, don't fake it that you heard from God. And if someone says, I got a word from God for you, don't fake it that, yes, that's the word from God when you don't believe that on the inside. Never lie about it. That's the way you'll actually hear from God when we're honest. We all want the real thing, don't we? Nobody wants something faked. And God does speak. So let's get the real thing going on in our lives. Luke 24, 32. These guys are walking on the road, talking to Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus. It's the road to Emmaus experience. And they says, they asked each other after Jesus is taken away from them and they suddenly have this revelation of who he was. They say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us. Sometimes when you hear from God, you might have some uh, emotional response. Not all the time. But sometimes you might. You might have a sense of, of, of being uh, emotionally moved by the experience. These guys say, were not our hearts burning within us? That's what they said. So they had an experience that went along with it. Again, we're not beholden to experiences. That's the, not the main thing, but it can happen, right? Even people who are not followers of Jesus, they're, they're, they're about to stone Stephen, the first martyr of the church, to death. Okay, so this is not a friendly audience he's speaking to. They're killing him. They're about to kill him. And when they heard what he said, this is Acts 7.54, when they heard these things, they were... Cut to the heart. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. Boy, that's a visceral response. <laughs> Gnashing with their teeth. They were cut to the heart, though. They were convicted. Now, they didn't like that conviction. They didn't like that he was right about what, they were, what he was saying about them, that they, they didn't receive Jesus just like they rejected the old prophets in the, all through their history. They didn't like what he said, but they were convicted. Now, they didn't respond in a righteous way. They killed the man. But the they heard from God, and it impacted them. They were cut to the heart. So sometimes you'll hear from God, and you'll have, you'll have an experience that will come with it. James 3.17 says, the wisdom, now you've asked God for wisdom, right? What is that wisdom like when you get it? Here's some things that might help you. James 3.17. I love that this is James again. James is the guy who says, if you don't have wisdom, ask for wisdom. Then a couple chapters later, he tells you what the wisdom is like. The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So if you say, I think I got a word from God, but it creates confusion and agitation that leads you into... Uh, angry action, it probably isn't God's voice. It probably isn't God's voice. It's probably not the wisdom that comes from God. Because the wisdom that comes from God is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So that's a helpful thing to remember when you think you've got something from God. It should lead to peace in your life. Now, having peace in your life does not mean that it's always a word from God. Right? Some people say, man, I sure feel a lot peaceful, more peaceful now that I'm uh, not doing the hard things God asked me to do. Right? That doesn't mean you're obeying God. But peace is a helpful, it is a helpful thing. Sometimes you, you say, I feel like God is saying this, but it's creating all sort of angst and confusion and agitation in your life. Check with other people. Talk to mature Christians, people who have walked with God longer than you. That'll help you. They'll bounce it, you can bounce it off them. They'll give you some good... Uh, guidelines. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says that who knows the person's thoughts except for their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. You say, what is God thinking? What does God want to say? Well, the spirit of God knows those things. Romans 8.16, I love the tag teaming these together. Romans 8.16 says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So you say, well, the Spirit of God knows the thoughts of God. I don't know the thoughts of God. But that, the Spirit of God testifies with our spirit and speaks. In this case, it's an assurance that you belong to God. But it could be other things that God wants to assure you of or God wants to speak to you about. 
And that's how I believe it, it works. That the Spirit of God is speaking to us. So you have a thought come to your mind, but it's the Spirit of God working in your life, speaking into your life so that you understand what God wants to say. So why is the still small voice the most common one? That might be a question you ask. You say, wouldn't it be better if he just audibly spoke audibly all the time? Or used angels? Or burning bushes? Wouldn't that be better? Like that would, man, then everybody would just believe. And I think there's a few reasons. I'm just going to throw these out. They're sort of theories, but I, I, don't, I don't know for sure. But I think a still small voice or, or even thoughts that come to your mind that you can recognize that that might be God are best suited to relationship with free, intelligent beings. You, were, you read the end of the Bible and you see how Jesus is coming again. And, and of course, uh, Philippians sort of speaks about the day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. If Jesus shows up in all of his majesty and glory, even those who hate Jesus will bow. Even those who never wanted anything to do with God will recognize who he is. But God has a desire for people to be in a love relationship with him. And so... He doesn't just show up on the scene, you know, to terrify the wicked. We're living in a time of, a season of grace in human history where people can turn to God of their own volition and give their lives to him. And, and so he doesn't just show up in the scene. He doesn't just... Uh, you know, he's given us so many things that testify about who he is. Creation testifies about who he is. His word is, is powerful to, to speak about the truth of the gospel. But the reality is, he doesn't just show up in the, all these over-the-top supernatural ways to suddenly make everyone bow down, even those who never would of their own desire. But he's extending this time of mercy or grace where people can turn to him legitimately. So it's a best... The still small voice is the best suited to a relationship with free, intelligent beings. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You know, people who don't have a heart to seek God, who don't desire God, they're not going to find him. But people whose heart is to, to find God, to know God, to seek God, Jeremiah says, you'll find him. You're going to find him. And so God, in this, in this era that we live in, this part of history that we live in, this is a time where people, where God doesn't make it so, uh, doesn't reveal him such a, in such a demonstrative way that everyone must uh, respond to him. Instead, he actually gives people time to respond. Like, you know, Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem. He didn't come in on a war horse. He didn't come in with an army of angels. In fact, scripture says he could have but actually he rides in on a donkey. You know what that says to everybody? This is a king who wants peace with his people. This is one who wants reconciliation. This is one who wants relationship. This is not one who comes in to dominate and conquer. You read Revelation, you see there's a different horse he's coming in on. We live in this window of opportunity where people can respond. That's very important. And so he, so he doesn't dominate with, with the over-the-top. We don't see angels walking among us all the time. We don't have all these over-the-top spiritual experiences all the time. These things do happen, but they, don't, they aren't the common experience. But he, that he speaks. He speaks to our hearts. And just like Nehemiah said, God put it into my heart. Or Elijah experienced. It was in the whisper that I heard him. Or, like it teaches in Corinthians and Romans, that the Spirit of God, who knows the thinking of God, testifies with our spirit. And those who seek him will find him when they seek him with all their heart. The other reason I would maybe give real quickly is that if God is always speaking at us, at, like, you know, with his outside voice, with the most demonstrative ways, that would become commonplace. And then how does God actually warn us? So, I've, I, so people who, you know, sort of walk with God longer than I, they talk about how just their regular, uh, you know, daily experience of walking with God and having a relationship with him is that they often feel prompted to do little things here and there that are good, that are course corrections. They're not massive shifts in life. 
But often when they've come to something that really, really is like a pivotal shifting moment in life, that God has often made those things more clear. I'm not saying necessarily they experienced an angel speaking to them, but something more clear in that moment. And often, this is my rule of thumb. The more that's at stake, the more you need to hear from God. Do you need to hear from God to make every decision? No. No. Some, you know, some, I'll just say this really straight as, as I can. Some of you actually struggle a lot to make daily decisions. If you struggle a lot to make daily decisions, my encouragement to you is just make decisions. Don't even worry if you make them all right. That sounds strange for a pastor to say, doesn't it? But some of us struggle, and especially if you struggle with some level of depression, that will be a factor, right? So just make decisions. So I often, I often do two, I'm often playing two sides of the thing. I often will tell people, just make decisions because you'll feel better when you made a decision. Even if you didn't make it 100% right, you know, the best leaders in the world, they just make decisions. That's why they're the best leaders in the world, right? They don't always get it right. In fact, they say only 30% of the time they make the best decision, but they make decisions. So I always encourage people, make decisions. Don't be paralyzed by hearing God. Don't be paralyzed to say, do I buy the yellow shirt or the red shirt? Lord, show me, show me. I'm, I'm listening. I lack wisdom. No, buy the shirt. Buy a shirt. Pick one. Buy them both. Just make a decision. But when you know there is so much at stake, listen. Even if you don't get a direction from God through that, make yourself available to hear from God. Say, God, I'm listening. God, I'm going to listen. I'm going to take some time. I'm not going to rush with this decision. This decision has huge ramifications. You know the story in the Old Testament of Gideon? I'm going to end with this. The story of Gideon in the Old Testament. He hears from God again and again and again and again. And he listens again and again. He sets up a series of tests. The fleece on the ground twice. Right? Uh, he has to hear from God about how big his army size is going to be, right? He gets to the very end where God has been building him as a leader, encouraging him, and then he has got the final decision. Do we take our 300 men and attack 300,000 Amalekites? The ramifications are huge. It's death to 300 men if he's wrong. So you know what God does in his graciousness? He says, come on down. I want you to sneak down to the Malachite camp and I want you to eavesdrop by one of the tents and I'm going to give you the courage you need to do this job. He goes down and he hears these guys who've had a dream. God's using the supernatural all over this thing because so much is at stake. They have a dream. It's a, a, a loaf of bread rolled down the hills and crushed our tents. And the other guy says, it's got to be Gideon. And Gideon stands straight and goes, that's right. And walks back up that hill and says, let's do this in the name of the Lord. And they win the day. When a ton is at stake, you better listen. When you're buying shirts, just buy the shirt. Got it? And all the stuff that's in the between, right? As it increases in proportion, listen more. But God can tell you. And God might prompt you. Out of the blue where you're suddenly like, oh, he wants me to talk to that guy. I don't know why. Or, or he wants me to pray for that person. Or, or I'm having something come to my mind. I think I need to, you know, bring to somebody else. That stuff will happen. But it's our posture before God to listen that matters. Would you stand with me? So this week when you read John and Psalms, and you ask the questions. This week's actually, there's not five questions, you know, listening questions. There's actually, if you, you've got your bulletin insert, you'll see them, right? It's actually a couple topics this week. Just a few topics. So you can actually take more than one day to actually be listening, right? When you're talking about a bigger topic, it's actually probably good that you take a couple days to just be in that listening posture, right? To see some questions about your walk with God. See some questions about your kids or somebody else's kids, like who you may be, you know, supposed to have an impact in a good way. Your schedule, you'll see some questions about that. If you look in your insert in the bulletin, you'll find all this stuff, okay? Listen, if you lack wisdom, like me, ask God, believe, and don't doubt. And then, be ready for 
wisdom that's pure and peace-loving, submissive, all the rest. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you want to lead us more than we want to be led. We absolutely believe that. We're stubborn. The Bible says we were like sheep that went our own way. We didn't follow the shepherd. Yet we look in the New Testament and you say, my sheep hear my voice. Lord, we just want to say we're listening. We're listening. Help us listen more. Help us learn in this area. Help us to be eager beginners when it comes to hearing your voice. Not to be proud or arrogant. We know that that's going to hinder us in hearing you. But I pray we'd be eager beginners in listening for your voice, your direction, your guidance, your leadership, your fatherly uh, relationship with us. We want to be branches that are so connected to the vine that the juice of all that you've got for us will flow into our lives. We just want to be full of you. So would you guide us? Would you direct us? And Lord, we're open. Uh, Lord, we don't wanna, we're not running after dramatic signs. We're not drawing, we don't need an angel. We don't need an audible voice. You want to do that? We'll be responsive. But we do not need those things. We just need to know who you are. And in scenarios where you want us to turn right instead of left, we want to know what you desire. We want our lives to line up with you, to align with you really, really well. We want to be able to say that you're not just the Lord of our lives, but in actual practice and function, you're the Lord of our lives. And that's what we ask for. Lead us where you want to go. In your name.